Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. If you spend any time at all talking to the people that God has placed in your life, especially on the topic of religion, you're going to find out that people have questions. There are questions that are going to start coming up in people's minds, and many of those questions are centered on the challenges that they are facing. Sometimes those questions that get presented to you as a believer are questions of why, and those why questions are focused on the circumstances that people are facing, and they're wondering, why, does, why am I having to deal with this, and why is this happening to me right now? At times, you and I even have those questions, and you and I hopefully know to direct those questions to God. The challenge, though, is, is that when we stop and we direct those challenges to God, we oftentimes don't hear the response that we want to hear. And when we cry out to God and we ask God why, we want to hear God say, this is why. And I think many of you would acknowledge when you cry out to God and you ask God why, there are some times that you don't hear the answer that you're looking for, and sometimes you don't hear an answer at all. And when we come to the book of Habakkuk, what we see is four heart-level questions that Habakkuk addresses to God. And these questions that go throughout, or we see throughout the book of Habakkuk, what's interesting about those is we not only see the questions, we get to see God's response. And it's helpful. Because the value here is that the, the, the questions that Habakkuk addresses or asks God are questions that you and I are tempted to have at various places in our lives. How can I get through this? God, where are you when I need you? God, why, why is this happening? Questions that as circumstances many times take a downward turn in our lives, as they so often do, cause us to wonder, God, what are you doing? And we, we really kind of boil it down to the question, God, are you really fair? Have you ever wondered that? Don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever wondered that? God, are you fair? I, I'm striving to live for you today, and I'm striving to do what you've called me to do. And you have this person over here who doesn't care at all about you or what you've commanded them to do, and they're the ones getting the seems to get the blessings while I have the challenges. God, are you fair? It doesn't make sense. Why are you allowing this to happen? The first question that we see in the book of Habakkuk is... Really the question that many of you may have this morning or that you've had at certain places or certain times in your life, and it's the question of, where is God when I need him? God, where are you when I need you? When the bottom drops out of life and God, I turn to you and I cry out to you, where are you? And maybe you, this morning, you're in the middle of a circumstance and a trial and a difficulty and really the bottom's dropped out. And that's the question you have this morning is, God, I'm calling out to you. Where are you when I need you? I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand what's going on. Life is crashing in around me. God, when I cry out to you with all of my heart, with all of my pain, and all of my anguish, I don't hear anything back from you. God, I need you now, but you're not here. Where are you? I'm crying out to you right now, but God, you're not answering. And some of you have been through situations where you've cried out to God in your need and in your distress 
and you stopped, you've cried out, you stopped, you're listening, you're silent, and you don't hear anything. Over the years, I've talked with people who used to be in church faithfully. But because of this very thing, because when everything was turning upside down and when the world was crashing in, they stopped and they cried out to God and they asked God why and they were trying to turn to God and they stopped and they listened and they didn't hear any response. And so in turn, they looked and said, well, you know what? God's not answering and so there's no point in me even pursuing Christ and pursuing my faith and being faithful to Him and church and so they've walked away completely. And it really was centered on this question, God, where are you when I need you? Before we get into the outline on the back of your bulletin, I want to kind of set some, some context of what's happening. And this context this morning does not just apply to this message, but it applies to all of the messages in this series over the next several weeks. And so pay attention to this because this is crucial to understand why Habakkuk is feeling the way that he is feeling. For the previous few years before this was written, this nation had had a godly king. And the Bible actually says that the king that they had had was a king who loved God with all of his heart. But now they have a king who's the exact opposite of the previous king, his father. This king that they have now is, was named Jehoiakim. And you can read all about Jehoiakim and his ministry in Jeremiah chapter 35 and, verse, and chapter 36. But he was the exact opposite of his father. He was an unrighteous man. In fact, he was a wicked man. And when you go to Jeremiah chapter 36, you can read all about how wicked he was and how he did not care. And you say, now why would I go to the book of Jeremiah to read about a king in Habakkuk? Well, Jeremiah and Habakkuk were contemporaries meaning they lived at the same time and they ministered in the same region. So they are witnessing the same challenges and the same hardships and the same, the same rulership of this wicked king. And so what Jeremiah is writing about is what Habakkuk is experiencing. They lived at roughly the same time. They saw the same problems. But when you go to Jeremiah chapter 36, we read about a message that, Jer that God gives to Jeremiah... And God tells Jeremiah to go and take this message to the king. And so he gets this message, he writes it down, he goes to King Jehoiakim to give him this message. He stands and he starts reading this message to the king as he has been directed to do by God. But instead of receiving the message, King Jehoiakim gets the message, he rips it up and he throws it in the fire. He had no concern for the things of God. No concern for the will of God. This was the spiritual climate of this era. People were ignoring God. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. They cared nothing about God, nothing about the message of God, nothing about the messengers of God. And so Jeremiah and Habakkuk are standing back. They're looking at the sin. They're looking at the wickedness. They, they see the wickedness of the king. They see the disregard for God, disregard for spiritual things. And they're stepping back and they're wondering, God, why are you not doing something about this mess? God, why are you not stepping in and intervening? Why are you not straightening things out? God, where is your justice? That's the setting that everything in the book of Habakkuk takes place in. You know, there's a lot of parallels today. Some people look around, they see the wickedness in the world, and they wonder, God, why are you not stepping in? God, why are you not intervening? God, why are you not answering us when we call to you? Now this morning we're in Habakkuk chapter 1, and we're specifically going to look at the first five verses. This first question and God's answer really goes all the way down through verse 11. But I want to begin simply by reading this. I want you to, 
not just listen to what Habakkuk says, but I want you to catch the heart of Habakkuk. I I want you to see the emotion and the pain and the anguish and the genuine concern that he has in these questions that he points to God. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Do do, do you see his heart? He says, God, there's verse 2, how long do I have to cry out for help and you do not answer? Verse 3, why do you force me to look at sin? Why is there so much wrongdoing and violence and it's in front of me and it's escalating? He says, God, you are not just. You are not dealing with this. You are not correcting this. God, where are you when I need you? God, I need you right now and it seems that you don't care. God, I need you right now, but you're not showing up. I'm crying out to you right now, but God, you're not listening and you're not answering. I want to break this down. On your outline, you see four statements. And in essence, these are not just four statements. These are almost four accusations that Habakkuk gives to God. It's almost as if, and I picture this, that Habakkuk is so frustrated and he is so aggravated and he is so beat down under the pressure of everything that is taking place. I can almost picture him looking up to God and pointing his finger at God and accusing God of these four things. The first one is this. You are not answering my prayer. Verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you have called out to God and there is silence and it seems that God is not listening and God is not answering and you're wondering, God, where are you? I'm crying out. I'm hearing nothing in return. How long do I have to call out for help before you are going to help? The, the word call here indicates That every emotion is being poured out to God. This is not just a casual turning to God saying, God, I need you, and then kind of turning away. This is a crying out in emotion and anguish saying, God, I need you. I have no hope other than you. The words, how long? You see, how long, Lord, must I cry out indicates that this crying out to God was ongoing. This was not just a one-time prayer. This was a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, anguishing, crying out to God, asking God, begging God to intervene, and yet not hearing anything in response. God, where are you? How long do I have to keep crying out before you will hear and before you will respond? And maybe you are in that position right now to where you've been crying out to God day by day, moment by moment, all your emotion, in your pain. You've laid it all out at the feet of Jesus. And you're saying, God, I need you. Here is how I need you. God, this is what's wrong. This is, this is what I'm feeling and this is what I'm experiencing. And you cry out to God and you stand back and you say, God, where are you? I'm trying to do what you've called me to do, and I'm trying to respond the way you've told me to respond. God, in your word, it says that if we cast all our care on you, we we, we should do that because you care for us. And God, that is exactly what I'm doing. And here I am, God. It's all here. Where are you? 
I'm not hearing anything. God, you're not answering my prayer. And this is common even throughout the Psalms. Many of the psalmists would, especially David, they would turn to God and they would cry out to God. And David cries out and he almost accuses God, kind of like Habakkuk, God, I'm crying out. Why will you not respond? Why will you not answer me? Where are you? The second statement or the second accusation is this. You're not listening to my advice. Verse 2 again, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? So basically what Habakkuk is saying is, I'm looking around me and I see all the violence, I see all the wickedness. God, you need to save. Why are you not saving? He's basically saying, God, here's the problem. You see the problem. Here's what you need to do about the problem. Here's my advice, God. You know, we love to give God advice, don't we? Habakkuk sees the violence, but then he says, God, you're not intervening. God, you're not doing what needs to be done. How can you sit there and watch and do nothing? And again, maybe this is you. You've been crying out to God day after day, and in your mind, God needs to intervene, and God needs to deliver, and God needs to provide healing, and God needs to intervene in your life. And you're asking him, and you're not just asking him to intervene, you're telling him how he needs to intervene. You're telling him, God, here's the problem. You see the problem. I've cried out to you. You're not answering. Here is what you need to do to fix the problem. And in essence, we're saying, God, let me be your advisor. Let me counsel you on how you need to do this. The word violence in verse 2 is an interesting word. It comes from the Hebrew word hamas. Maybe you're familiar with the Hebrew word Hamas. You may recognize that word. It's used in Habakkuk more than any Old Testament book, with the exception of the book of Psalms. And it refers to a violent, oppressive evil. Habakkuk is looking around him, and he cries out to God, look at all the evil, look at all the Hamas. The people are willingly and knowingly stepping across God. They're stepping across your moral law. You need to do something. You're not listening to my advice. You need to provide justice. You need to punish the evildoer. You need to stop the violence. You need to get rid of all of the evil that I'm experiencing. God, you need to do this. And this is where we have to be reminded of who God is. The God that we are crying out to, the God that we're expecting to hear from, the God that we are advising and asking him why he is not intervening, why he's not listening to our advice, is the same God who spoke everything into existence. Why do we think that God needs our advice? But yet, it's easy to try and give it, isn't it? Because in our mind, we see the problem, we see the desired outcome, and in our mind, God needs to respond in a way that's going to get us to what we think the desired outcome is. And so we say, God, do this so this will happen. In our minds, we think we've got it all figured out. And in essence, that's Habakkuk. The third accusation, the third statement is this. God, you are making me look at sin. Verse 3, clearly in the first statement. Why do you force me to look at injustice? God, the evil is around me. Why do you force me to look at this? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. God, you're forcing me to look at sin. 
God, it's all around me. You're not listening to my advice. You're not doing anything about this. God, why are you forcing me to look at sin? Why don't you step in and answer my prayer and listen to my advice and remove this evil? God, you could address this. You could fix this. Everywhere I look, there is sin. And everywhere I look, there is evil. And everywhere I look, there is wickedness. God, why are you not doing anything about this? And there can be things that happen in our world today where we have that exact same question, right? We turn on the news and we see evil and we see terrorism and we see violence and we see wickedness and we see immorality and we can step back and say, God, why are you not doing anything about this? God, why are you not intervening? God, this is what you need to do. This is what your law states. This is what's happening. You see the wickedness. God, do something. And when he doesn't do something, we step back and we can say, God, why are you not intervening? Why are you forcing me to have to look at all this sin? Why are you forcing me to live in the midst of this? The fourth accusation is this. God, I'm not sure you care. And this is the emotional response of the weight of the trying circumstances and the trying situations and the pain. And this is the culmination of everything that's been happening. We can get to the place where in verse 4, we basically look and say, God, I'm not sure you care. Look at verse 4. He said, this is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. He is looking at God and he is saying, God, you don't care because if you cared, your justice would prevail. Because, God, you are not intervening and you're not making right all the wrongs, then that must mean you don't care. And so, God, your justice is perverted and your justice is not prevailing. And, God, the only conclusion I can come to is that you do not care about what's happening in your country. You don't care about what's happening in the world you created. And, God, you don't care about what's happening in my life. Have you been there? But have you been through things in your life where you are looking at it and you cried out to God and he's not answering and you, you advise God and he doesn't do what you think he needs to do and you're standing around and you're looking at it all and you finally get down to the kind of the conclusion of everything in your own mind and you just sit back and you collapse on the couch and you say, God, you don't care. I've tried to do everything right, God. I've tried to respond correctly. I've tried to turn to you. I've tried to trust in you to intervene. God, you don't care. Maybe you're there. And you're at a place in your life right now where you have hit rock bottom. And it is dark. And the valley is deep. And there seems to be no hope. And in your mind, if you're honest this morning, you're sitting back and in the back of your mind, you are looking at God and you're saying, God, if you really cared, you would do something. I was sitting in my office in Ohio about 13, 14 years ago. And we had a thing where we had a minister of the day. It was a larger church. We had about eight pastors on staff. And so every day there was a different pastor who was the minister of the day. And what that meant was that anybody who just walked in for counseling or any phone calls that came in, if you were minister of the day, then it was your responsibility to stay in the office that day. You brought your lunch that day, and so you were available for anybody who happened to come in or anybody who happened to call. And it was my day. 
And so I'm sitting at my desk and my secretary called up to my office and said, we have a call for you. And this guy sounds very distraught. And I said, okay, send the phone call through. And I picked up the phone when it rang and I said, hello? And the first words out of his mouth were, I'm about to take my life. Not hello, not how you doing. First words, I'm about to take my life. That'll wake you up. That'll get your attention really quick. And one of the things you're supposed to do in that situation, it sounds counterintuitive, but one of the things you're supposed to do in that situation is to ask, well, how are you going to do this? Because in that question, you learn if someone is really serious or not, or whether it's just trying to get attention. And so I asked that question, well, what are your plans? And he outlined everything. And so I immediately knew this was serious. So I began talking with him and asking why. And he had been struggling with alcohol addiction for quite some time. And in his struggle with alcohol addiction, through that and because of that, he had lost his job. And when he lost his job, he lost his ability to pay for bills in the house, and so he lost his house. In the midst of all that, his wife left him and took the kids. And so now he's in this situation where he has this addiction, he's lost his job, he's lost his place to live, he's lost his wife and kids. In his mind, there's absolutely no hope. In his mind, he has hit complete rock bottom. There's no point in going on. As we begin talking about through this, talking through this, in a way he was looking and he had these same accusations to God. He was looking and he was saying, God, I need you to intervene. Where are you? God, I'm asking for your help. And he had been in church and he, had, he knew what was right in his mind. But he had got to the place where all of these things had transpired and he's looking around and he... It, and he had sat down and for weeks now in depression was saying, God, you don't care. And God, if you don't care, there's no point in me going forward. One of the things you're supposed to do in those situations is get them to commit to being somewhere or doing something within the next 24 to 48 hours. And so happened, I think this was on a Friday, Thursday or Friday, and so got him to commit to coming to an event that we had at the church a couple days later, and thankfully he, he came, and from that point we got him connected with a professional counselor, and he recovered from that. But don't think that just because you're a Christian, and just because you go to church, that you are never going to face trials and situations in your life where you hit rock bottom, and you are tempted to look at God and say, God, I don't think you care. It can happen to any one of us at any time. We can go through those situations and we can say, God, I'm cried out to you. You're not listening to my advice. You're forcing me to look at and endure all this evil. God, I do not think you care. And it is in those moments that we wish we could hear from God, right? I mean, don't we wish that when we cried out to God with those concerns, we could hear God's audible response? 
Well, what is neat about this is that we get to see God's response in verse 5. Look, look at verse 5 with me. Here's God's answer. Look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. For something is taking place in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. And then verse 6 through verse 11 is all the explanation about what God is doing and what God is doing and how he's using other nations and foreign nations and even wicked nations. And we'll get to that next week. And how he is raising up all these different peoples to accomplish his plan. But there's several things that we have to understand. One primary point, but before I give you that, we have to acknowledge, verse 5, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded, for something is taking place in your days. The first thing I see, and this is not on your outline, but just interesting, is that God is already doing something. Habakkuk is looking, he's saying, God, you don't care, and God's first response is, hold on, I am at work, which it reminds us of the truth, that God's silence never indicates inactivity. When we cry out to God and we say, God, where are you? Why, why are you not answering me? Why do I not hear you when I cry out to you? And when we sit in those moments and we're waiting to hear from God, and in those times we cry out and we say, okay, God, I'm listening. And then there's silence. That silence never indicates God's inactivity. God is always at work. And there is something maybe in your life right now that you're wondering, God, what are you doing and why are you doing it? And God's answer to you right now is, just because you don't hear an answer doesn't mean I'm not at work. I am working. It's almost as if he looks back to Habakkuk and says, Habakkuk, I, I know you think that I'm not listening and I know that you blame me and I know you think that I'm ignoring you and I know you think that I don't care, but I'm at work even as we speak. That's encouraging, right? So in your moment of distress, and when you think God is not listening, and God doesn't care, and God is not working, the first thing that God would say to you is, I am at work. You may not see it, but I'm active. You may not hear me responding, but I am at work. And here is the primary thing that God tells Habakkuk, kind of this summary statement. Here's what he says. This is on your outline. If I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me. My plan is so much greater than you, and what, I may, what I'm doing is so far beyond you that even if I came down and showed you A, B, C, D, E, here's what I'm doing, and here's how I'm doing it, and here's why I'm doing it, you wouldn't be able to believe it. Now, I would like to think that if God came down and told me what he was doing and why he was doing it and how he was doing it, even if it wasn't what I was expected, I'd be like, all right, God, I believe you. But God says, if I came down and laid out the blueprints of what is taking place in front of you and explained it to you and walked you through it, you would not believe me. You would look at God and you would say, yeah, right. Sure, that's what you're doing. Sure, that's what you say you're doing. You know, ultimately it comes back to our trust in God. I mean, when we look at verse 5 and we see this phrase, for something is taking place in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. 
Do we trust that God is actually working? See, in these situations where we're crying out to God and we're saying, God, where are you when I need you? Why are you not answering me? Why are you not listening to my advice? God, I don't think you care. In those moments where we are surrounded with those feelings and surrounded with those thoughts and surrounded by those emotions and we are being crushed under the pressure of everything that is taking place, we have to come back to verse 5 and we have to believe that even though we don't see it and even though we can't hear God, we have to believe that He is at work, and it may be a work that we don't even understand, but God is at work, and that should give us comfort. God has not forgotten about you. God has not lost sight of you. God has not failed to hear your cries. God is not ignoring you. God is not inactive. He is looking, and he is listening, and he sees, and he is aware, and he is at work in ways that you cannot even comprehend. And it is that reality that God is at work in the darkest of days. And God is at work when I cannot hear him. And God is at work when I don't think he even cares. That allows us to come and sing and worship when the bottom is falling out of life. In one breath we can wonder where is God when I need him. And in the next breath we can sing praises to his name. Because we understand that his ways are not our ways. And his works are far beyond our comprehension. We can look in the pain and in the darkness in the valley and when there seems to be no way out, we can trust that God is at work. Maybe you've heard the statement, when you can't see his hand, remember what it says? Trust his heart. When you can't see God working, trust who God is. And the only way, listen to me, the only way you will be able to survive, and not just survive, but eventually thrive through those moments where you, like Habakkuk, you're looking and you're saying, God, where are you when I need you? The only way that you will be able to make it through those valleys where you're crying out to God and you're not hearing anything in response, the only way that you're going to be able to... to not just heal, but to be able to move through those dark days where you're giving God advice, you're telling God, this is what you need to do, and God's not doing it. And ultimately where those times where you sit back and you say, God, you don't care. The only way that you and I, and I've been in situations like this, and you have as well, all of us here have, the only way we can make it through those times is to ultimately trust trust in who God is and the fact that God is at work. He's working. You say, I don't see it. Trust that God is working. I don't hear him. Trust that God is at work. So I believe this morning that if we cried out to God like Habakkuk in verse 2 through verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 1, that God would look at you and he would say, something is taking place in your day that you will not believe when you hear about it. You know what he's saying? I'm doing something. I'm at work. Will you trust me? So I want to challenge you this morning with this truth. If you're in that place now or you have been in that place and maybe you've been there and you've not responded correctly in the past or maybe you've not in that place right now but you're aware that it might come into your life at some place in the future in those moments, 
do what Habakkuk did and turn to God? He turned to the right place, didn't he? Turn to God with your questions and with your fears and with your accusations, but then be willing to understand that God is at work in ways that you can't understand. You stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.